music at our call to worship that um, Paul wrote to the Colossians uh, many years ago. Um, But we can share this prayer as we start our service this morning. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and direct one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Our reflection today in our, our sermon series coming up is a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I say I'm continuing a series because I started doing uh, the Beatitudes uh, about nine months ago. So for some of you with extraordinarily good memories will recall that I did a Beatitude series about nine months ago. Then we did other series. And now I'm sort of looping back and we're going to pick up exactly where the Beatitudes have finished. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, which is also our Bible reading for today. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. What I'm going to do is I've divided the passage into three sections. So the first section is thinking about it. This is an opportunity for us to think about the first two verses and get a sense of what it is that Jesus is teaching. But then the next two verses, verses 19 and then verse 20, Jesus applies it. And when we get down to there in a minute, we're going to go and look at the application. So so we're going to focus here on the first two verses. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. I'm going to make some introductory comments, but while while I do that, I want you to be reflecting on two questions. What questions or comments do these verses raise in your mind? And what do you think Jesus was trying to get across to his audience? So if you have any reflections as I offer some opening remarks, please feel free to type them in. You can capture them and other people within the room can see your reflections. And in a moment, I'm going to hand the microphone around. We'll just spend some time reflecting on these words of Jesus. Many years ago, as you know, I was a pastor in a little country town called Bort. Bort is in the northern region of Victoria. And one of the features of Bort during summer is it gets awfully hot. And one day I was invited to a meeting. Uh, a meeting of community members. So it wasn't just church people. It was a wider community meeting. I was invited to a meeting and I was running late and it was very hot and I was running down the street to try to get to the meeting. And by the time I burst through the doors of the place where the meeting was, I was dripping wet with sweat. And as I came through and I sat down, everyone but one person in the room knew who I was And because that's a fairly small country town, they all knew that I was a local minister. And one person who has a bit of a church background looked at me dripping with sweat and trying to get myself cleaned up and sorted out and put back together again for this particular meeting I was sitting in. 
And with a cheeky smile on her face, she said, I didn't think priests were allowed to be unclean. To which I replied, yes, of course. But as Jesus says, the fields are ripe. (laughs) (laughs) To which nine of the ten people cracked up laughing and then the meeting went on. But the one person I didn't know, at the moment I said, as Jesus says, before I got to my misquote and my silliness, right? As Jesus says, I could physically see her tense herself up. Almost like she was waiting for a blow to fall. And then I made my silly joke, you know, the fields are ripe. And everyone else laughed, but she didn't laugh. And it was clear that something in her had been activated. Something, I think the word nowadays might even be triggered. Something had been triggered within her. And from that point on, for the next five minutes, she was, um, she was a bit testy, making sort of sharp comments about me and about the church and about... It just, it just was clearly uncomfortable, a moment for her. And then finally, she sort of excused herself and stepped outside of the room. I had no idea who she was. I didn't know her background. I had no relationship or connection to her. Anyway, I got to catch up with a few other people around the table sometime later on, and we don't know the exact story of what was going on. But there was something in that moment, and there's been something in her background, that the moment she hears the words of Jesus, she braces herself for something incredibly negative to follow. Maybe condemnation, maybe judgment. Jesus, in our passage today, is saying, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law I came to fulfill it. And as a matter of fact, beyond that, I came to make sure that even the smallest detail of the law of God is, uh, the purpose of it is achieved upon the earth. And there is one way that we can listen to those words and react something like maybe this lady reacted to my words as Jesus said. In other words, we can go, the law, it's terrible, it's judgment, it's harsh, it's going to condemn me, it's going to be pounded upon my head and I'm going to feel terrible and judged and it's going to be, no, 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 Jesus, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. This, This law thing is bad. Around the same time, I met another gentleman. And this gentleman's life motto verse was, we are not under law, but we are under grace. And what he kind of meant by that, he had a bit of a, of a belief system, as I got to know him better, which is that the belief that Christians, because we receive grace, we are freed not only from the, uh, the, the demands of the law of Moses in the Bible, but we are free from any of the demands that a church might put upon us. You know, there's church norms, those expectations of behavior that a church might put on us. But beyond that, we're also free from any sense of moral law. In other words, you had this idea of, no, 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 before God, there is no law. I'm free from any standard, any norm, anything that any human being might, might put upon me. I'm free from that because I'm completely under law, uh, under grace and not under law. Needless to say, that particular gentleman was a real handful to try to deal with because he wouldn't follow any standards. He wouldn't allow himself to come, you know, come and follow any of the expectations that we as a community might have on that particular person. Um, This is a position known as antinomialism. Antinomialism. Antinomos. The word for nomos in the Greek is the word law. Anti means against. It means against law. It's actually one of the earliest... uh, Debates that took place within the early church. To what degree do Christians need to follow rules and uphold standards? It's one of the earliest debates in the early church. To what degree do Christians need to follow rules and uphold standards? And there was a large body of people in the early church who said, we don't. We don't at all. 
we're free. We've got grace. It's fine. We can do what we want. It's yay. And there was a significant portion of the Christian world that believed that. So what I've done is I've given you two extremes. An extreme on the one hand, where when we hear about standards and rules and laws and norms and expectations, we sort of brace ourselves and it's a really negative instinct that it rises within us. But then I've also given you the opposite extreme, which is people for whom they go, no, no rule, no law, it's fantastic. I'm completely free, I'm under grace, I'm not under law. God has given me freedom, I don't need to worry about any of these social norms or social niceties or laws or moral rules. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. What questions or comments do these verses raise in your mind? What do you think Jesus was trying to get across to his audience? Does God's law include all the Is Moses' law with those trappings and the same as God's law? It's good. Does, when Jesus says law, is he including all of the Levitical, all of the details of the Levitical ritual laws within the Bible? I might pick up that question in a moment because that's that's a bit of a technical one. So let me just allow that question to sit because there's definitely a response to that. But are there any other comments? What questions or comments do these verses raise in your mind? What do you think Jesus was trying to get across to his audience? Perhaps that uh, the the Christian life is not to be lawless. There will be some regulation and some control and some uh, guidance of uh, how to behave. Uh, So there needs to be something, and the question is what? And then the other word I pick up on is the word accomplish. Mm. It's often translated fulfilled, and it's something that may in fact have an end, uh, and maybe that end has already occurred. It's good. It's good. He was trying to reassure them that he was kosher and that they didn't have a thing to fear, but that it would be accomplished. Um, and it was all positive. It was all for them. Uh, our devotional this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the verse 7 says... The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began, though it began with such glory, the people of Israel could not bear to look at the face of Moses. And the passage goes on to say that Jesus virtually removed that veil. So I was finding it difficult to uh, see that Jesus wasn't abolishing the law, but he was overcoming the law. So I was having some difficulty try, trying to uh, understand. So I'm looking for your explanation to Excellent. cover that. Excellent. That's, that's definitely the, the direction our conversation is going in, so I might, I might even go there myself. Ruth, anything else you want to add? Um, yes, there's quite, quite a number of comments. Go for so it. I'm just, um, so there's one that says, Jesus has died and rose again already. Has the purpose of the law not yet been fulfilled? Oops. That's good. Um, can it now be deleted or disregarded? Excellent. All right. Let's talk law. All right. Think about this question for a minute. How many of you have rules that are fairly specific to your house? So I'll give you one example. Uh, There are some houses I walk into, and the first thing that I see when I walk into a house is a sign or sometimes an instruction, take your shoes off. That's a rule. Now, that's not 
a rule in my house. That's not a value judgment. I'm not just saying it's a good rule or a bad rule. You're a good person or a bad person for having that rule or not. But that's just reality. In my house, we are not a shoes off house. What are some of the rules that you've set up for your house or for your life, which may be just a little bit, not 100% unique, but maybe just, you know, you, you've, been, you've been in enough houses, you know that not everyone does it that way. It's not exciting, but don't touch my work chair, my ergonomic special work from home chair. Kids are not, kids are not allowed to touch it, sit on it. Kids are not allowed to sit on the special work ergonomic chair. Mummy's special work economic, ergonomic chair. Brilliant. So you walk in that house, thou shalt not sit on that chair. Um, I've got a rule in my house. The dog shall never set foot in my bedroom. Absolute hard and fast rule. Don't break that rule. Daddy gets grumpy. What else? <laughs> That's my daughter speaking up saying, what if he finds something interesting in there? And my comment is, it doesn't matter. That's the law. The law is laid down. The dog shall not enter, enter my bedroom. Anyone else? The dog is not allowed to sit on my lap. I've got a lot of dog rules in my house. Sorry about that. I just, I'm just not keen on dogs. <laughs> cool. Here's my point. Laws are expression of values. When you set up a rule in your house that says, thou shalt not wear shoes, what you're setting up within your particular household is a statement of value. We as a family or we as a household have chosen that we value some things over against other things. Right? When I say, the dog shall not enter my bedroom... It's a statement of values. When, uh, when I say, you sh- uh, when, when Vicky says, you shall not sit on my nice ergonomic chair and mess it up so I've got to try to set it up again, it's a statement of priority. It's a statement of values. One of the things, uh, the primary thing that laws teach us is laws teach us the character and the priority of the lawmaker. That's what laws teach us. By by learning the laws, we learn actually the personality, the character, and the priority of the people who make the laws. That's why so much of the debate within Australia around which laws do we adopt. Do we adopt this law? Do we not adopt that law? And the political debates. At one level, there are a debate about law. What rules shall we have? But I think all of us know at the heart of the debate about the rules is actually a debate about values. What values are important to us? And how is it that we enforce and encourage and express those values in the nation around us. Laws are expressions of values. They protect what is important. They encourage people to act in the right way. They discipline our behavior. They form a sense of culture and a community. And most of all, laws train our attitude and train our heart. Imagine for a minute that you're not just in a household, but imagine that your entire community, your entire culture is a shoes-off culture. And imagine you're born into that culture. You're just trained from as early as you can remember that thou shalt never wear shoes inside the house. You don't need to be told. If you're being chased, if you're in a game of chasing and you're being chased by your brother and you're running as fast as you can and you take a swift right-hand turn to run inside the house, you are a master at kicking your shoes off or flicking your shoes off before you take a step into the house while still running at full stride because you know that thou shalt not wear shoes inside the house. So that becomes part of the values in which you live. What happens if you invite a guest called Stephen Field who's a big, big klutzy guy and doesn't understand your rules 
And he just walks in the house and completely ignorantly has his shoes on as he steps inside the house. How do you think, this is a question for you to respond to, how do you think you would feel if your entire culture and community and world that you've lived in has always been a shoes off house and all of a sudden somebody steps in wearing shoes? How do you think you'd feel? Shocked. Shocked. I think if it was something that you um, valued, you'd probably feel insulted. Insulted? Confused. Confused. Insulted and confused. I didn't know you could do that. <gasps> and he calls himself a pastor. Oh, he calls himself a pastor and he wears shoes inside the house. Right? Can you see how then all of a sudden these rules create a tension and create, uh, can potentially create a tension between two people who not, it's not actually about the rules, it's about the values that undergo the rules and about the awareness of the rules and how they're meant to be lived out. Do you know what the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, these religious leaders that Jesus keeps criticizing all the time, do you know what they did wrong? That's a rhetorical question. You don't actually have to physically answer it. Do you know what they did wrong? It wasn't actually that they were people who held themselves to rules and standards. What they did wrong is they never understood why the rules existed. When they saw the law of God, all they saw were rules. Thou shalt not have fun on the Sabbath. Thou shalt not, you know, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. All they saw was a list of rules to be done. And their focus was on the outward performance of the rules. What they missed was that the rules are about the personality and the character of God being expressed upon the earth. Do you know when Jesus said, have a Sabbath? What Jesus was saying to us was not, you have a rule to follow, don't have fun on a Sunday. There we go. Rule, there it is. For eternity, that shall be the rule. Have fun Monday to Saturday and on Sunday, be grumpy. There we go. That's your act of worship. That's not the reason why God gave us the Sabbath. Do you know why God gave us a Sabbath? Because he loves us and he wants us to rest. Do you know the rule was there to set up a value? What's the value? You are not your work. Your work is not to overwhelm your life. Life is bigger than just what you do. Your value to me, says God, is that you are the person that I've created you to be. And your value to me is that I call you to be a person who, yes, can work and work diligently six days you shall labor, but also can be a person who comes to a place of rest and comes to a place of peace and comes to a place of disconnecting. God made the Sabbath to serve humanity. The law of the Sabbath is our servant to serve us and guide us and help us to have our priorities straight, but it serves us. The Pharisees flipped it around. They said, no, 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 no. Human beings are machines designed to serve the the law called Sabbath, right? We need to program, you know, we need to just become machines that are like Sabbath doing machines. They got it backwards. They understood the law, but they didn't understand the purpose. They understood the rule, but they didn't understand the heart. They understood the words on the page, but they didn't understand the culture and the community and the vision, the heart of the lawgiver and why that law was given. The challenge that Jesus is setting up here, don't misunderstand why I have come. I've not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I've come to accomplish their purposes. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappears, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And what we'll look at next week as we go to the next two verses is just going to build on 
I'll build on the point I'm going to make. So I'm now going to use this as a bit of an introductory statement that will head us towards next week. But the point is this. The challenge is not to do the rules. The challenge is to internalise the rules. The challenge is not to become rigid rule keepers. I have to do what the rules say. The challenge is to understand why it was that the law and the rules were given to us so that our hearts can be more in line with the values and the principles and the ideals that God has. The call here is is to internalise the law, not to discard it. We are not called to overlook it. We're not called to treat it as irrelevant. But we're also not called to slavishly follow it and demand that other people become law-keeping machines, slavishly following every single little bit of the rule just because it's printed there on black and white on a piece of paper without any understanding of how those rules are meant to shape our heart and shape our view of the world. This is setting up the entire rest of Matthew chapter 5. As as we go through it, Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus quoting the law. You have heard it said, thou shalt not murder, says Jesus, which is an exact quote from the Ten Commandments. There's no more law than the Ten Commandments, right? Jesus quoting the Ten Commandments. You have heard it said that thou shalt not murder. But what does Jesus do with that? He immediately takes it from a, a rigid law, thou shalt not murder, and he turns it into a challenge to the heart of the people. I say to you, if you're angry at your brother and sister then you've murdered them in, the, in, in your heart. He makes it a heart issue. He takes the law and, he, and he, what he grabs from the law is the principle, the character of the lawgiver, and he expresses that and explains that to us. And that's going to be the, the path we're going to be following for the next little while. Jesus calls us to live a life where we are free from the law. Can we say that? You are free from the law. Do you know what that means? When you fail God, God does not condemn you. When God sets up the law and the standards and you fall short of it, God does not condemn you. When God says, this is my heart for the world, this is my, my love for you, these are the standards that I've set up, this is the way I'm calling you to live and to think and to think about the world and to interact with the world, and we fall short of that, God says, I love you and I have grace for you and I have mercy for you, and because Jesus died on a cross, I have abundant salvation for you. Let me give you my, my Holy Spirit so you can step up and be a person empowered by me to grow more and more to be the people that I have called you to be. We are not condemned by the law. We are not under the thumb of the law. We are in that sense completely and utterly free from the law. But let me, let me make the point, which is what Jesus, I believe Jesus is making, not just here, but consistently throughout Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to unpack this more and more as we continue our way through. We are not free from the obligation to live out the law in all of its fullness in our life. We are free from strict rule keeping and fussy list making, but we are called to a life where the law lives in our hearts and guides all of our actions and our choices. We are called to a life where the law lives in our hearts and guides all of our actions and our choices. And that sentence defines the journey Jesus takes us on as we ourselves go through the rest of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' vision is for a world where good flows from our hearts. Do you know that? Jesus' vision is for a world where good flows from our hearts. But good doesn't flow from our hearts just because we've got good intentions. Good doesn't flow from our hearts just because we feel good things about people. Good flows from our hearts because we allow ourselves to be made more and more into the character of Christ 
carrying the priorities and the vision and the heart of God into the world around us. And what is one of the ways we get to do that? We understand who a person is by the standards they set, the principles that they put forward, the laws that they make. One of the ways that we learn who God is and what's important to God is by understanding the law. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are a God who calls us clearly to be the people that you have created us to be. I recognize that this topic today is a challenging one. It gets us thinking a bit differently about uh, than maybe some of the ways we've been taught to think about this thing called the law. It used to be so easy. We reject the law and we just celebrate grace and it's as simple as that. But as Jesus is just beginning to open up and will continue to develop over Matthew chapter 5, Lord God, you are challenging us to look with fresh eyes at the law. But actually not to become fussy rule keepers. Your rebuke to the religious leaders is strong and firm. We are not called to be fussy rule keepers. But we are called to receive the law as a gift. A gift that reveals to us your heart, your priorities, your passions, your character. And to allow that vision to shape us so that we can become more like your people into the world around us. Lord God, as we just reflect on these things throughout the week and as we pick up this journey and carry it through over the next number of weeks, pray, Lord God, that you would be gracious by your Holy Spirit. Free us from any sense of condemnation. Assure us that you do not judge us by the law. We are not judged when we fail. We are not judged when we fall short. We are not judged when we cannot reach the standard you have set. You're not going to punish us because we wear shoes inside. But God, you are a God nonetheless who still calls us to be people who lives out your reality, lives out your life and lives out your truth into the world around us and help us by your spirit to be the people who can do that. We commit this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's conclude our service with with the benediction. And I've chosen the last verse of the letter of Jude, which is also so well known to us um, but I'm going to read it from the message just to give it a slightly different um, flavour and now to him who can keep you on your feet standing tall in his bright presence fresh and celebrating to our one God our only saviour through Jesus Christ our master be glory, majesty strength and rule before all time and now and to the end of all time. Go in peace.